Bibles. Paul is sending Timothy into Ephesus as a smoke jumper. He's sending him in because this is a church which has caused a lot of problems. Uh, you'll read in the Bible that it caused a riot with Paul and all kinds of things happened. This is a very impressive city, a first world city about the size of Long Beach, very prosperous, arguably the most wealthy city in the world. Very sophisticated place. Lots of competing worldviews at the time, much like what we have in the United States today. Lots of competing worldviews, competing cable channels, competing everything else, and everybody's trying to grab everyone's attention, and there's this little movement called Christians, which are starting up. And they look like the underdogs, but we do know that they ended up winning the game in the end. But this is the beginning of the story. So we have Paul here sending Timothy in to smoke jump, to go into a troubled church and straighten things out. Timothy's a little on the tentative side so we can tell that because Paul keeps saying you can do this you know buck up you can make this happen you can you can do it be courageous get in there and and tell them what you uh what you know we've got this great stuff happening we got chapter four which is very random <coughs> Paul is a random guy uh, he's sort of unmedicated ADHD and just goes all over the place uh, he's got senses to go about half page and he forgets to put in a comma that kind of thing he just away he goes he's brilliant He's brilliant, but he's a little different, and he doesn't think in terms of outlines. I challenge any of you to get a group of three people, pick a small letter of Paul, and go into separate 
separate places and come back with an outline and your outlines won't match because he doesn't think in terms of outlines at all. He just kind of wings it. And within the middle of winging it, he comes up with these fantastic things, which once you hear them, you'll never forget them. Uh, There's neither slave nor free. There's neither rich nor poor. There's neither male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus, neither Jew nor Gentile. These kinds of things are just boom, out it comes. And He's sort of free associating here. And when he does that, the Holy Spirit occasionally gets a hold of him and you know, bang, out comes this, this thing that you'll never, ever forget. So Paul is the power writer of the New Testament, much like Isaiah is the power writer of the New Testament, oh, excuse me, of the Old Testament. Did I say that wrong? Paul, New Testament, Isaiah, Old Testament. It's important to get those two straight. I love to go to pastor's meetings and somebody will say, turn to Thessalonians, you know, First Thessalonians, and I'll go to the next pastor next to me, I'll say, is that Old Testament or New Testament? And just look for his face. It's just, it's, a, it's always fun to do. First Timothy 4, we're doing a little bit of a review. Chapter 1, he's coming down on men. Men who go off by themselves and think up conspiracy theories and uh, Monday morning quarterback everything that's been going on in Ephesus the last week. Things have not changed. Uh, men tend to do that when women aren't around. We go into the most obscure things and got opinions about everything. And Paul tells Timothy, go in there and straighten those guys out because they go off on these tangents about, you know, who knows, end times theories and, and uh, different conspiracy things and all kinds of Men do that. I don't think that happens too often in women's Bible studies. You've got your own problems, and I have no idea what they are. I don't want to know. But... Uh, <laughs> But we've got problems in men, men's Bible studies is men tend to, when they're together, they tend to major in the minors. And they tend to focus on little details and get into arguments and off they go. And this has been going on for 2,000 years. And Paul tells Timothy, go in there and straighten those guys out and get them to focus on the main thing, which is Jesus, and things will get better. In chapter 2, he comes down on women. <clears throat> Why does he come down on women? We've mentioned this before. In Ephesus, the women were in charge spiritually. Now, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the Diana cult, the Artemis cult. It was big, gigantic, one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple. And the women were all in charge. So they become Christians and say, well, we're in charge now, right? Um, and they leave no room for the men. So the men go off and have their conspiracy meetings. And so this is what's happening in Ephesus. And basically he says, Make room for the men in leadership because you're not doing that. You're, you're taking over everything. And the Greek word, which I, I found last time that was so, so fun, was don't throttle the men. Uh, don't, uh, it, the word in Greek means kill with bare hands. Don't emasculate the men. Let them be leaders. Let them come up and do their thing. Because otherwise, they'll be off in the corner arguing over some obscure thing in the Bible, and they'll get nothing done. That was the big thing in the Promise Keepers movement. Most of the talks were... Get up, take leadership, take responsibility, quit watching sports all day, and do something, which was a good thing for us to hear because we tend, men tend to creep off into our corners and become irrelevant. So it's important that men stand up and do stuff. Chapter three was church leadership. And we talked about church leadership, and we invited a lot of you to apply for church leadership. We have three open positions because they've got some great servants here who are terming out. All three of them are here, vice president, secretary, and treasurer. And we would love to have a whole bunch of people apply for that prayerfully. And then we will pray over the names and we'll see what the Lord shows us. We talked about standards for church leadership. So we're starting on chapter four. Let's, uh, let's go through chapter four. 
we're going to go through verse by verse because this is the most random chapter in the entire book of First Timothy. Wendy asked me this morning, so what, what point are you going to preach on today? I said, chapter 4 just has a lot of stuff in it, and you have to kind of go through the whole thing. So we're going to do that, and we're going to take it verse by verse. Verse 1, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Now, I want to say something about the phrase, last times, end times. Human beings have some weird need for a gigantic apocalypse. Uh, If you're a certain kind of Christian, you spend all your time thinking about the end times. If you're a certain kind of sort of progressive political person, all you want to talk about is climate change and the world's going to end. We have this emotional need almost to focus on this this conclusion, this this boom, 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 thing. there's a bad thing coming. It's, It's kind of psychologically weird. It's certainly not the center of the gospel, but people just gravitate towards it because they just are drawn to this, this, this thing. And so a lot of people have translated Paul's writing as the last times, end times. And really, I believe what he's saying is just in these latest days, in the times that he's talking about. The Germans translate it, uh, der jüngste Tag, the, the, the youngest days which means the days that aren't as old as last Thursday was, because it's been around for, you know, more days. And so it's a real interesting way of looking at it. The word he uses is hysteros, which means emerging or forming. It's the same word we use for the womb. A hysterectomy is to take out the womb. And so the forming, the times that are just starting to come, the, the times that are forming. So when the Bible says last days or end times or latter days, which the Mormons use for their church name, Latter-day Saints. Um, It doesn't always mean the end times. It can often mean, in the original Greek, the most contemporary or the youngest days, the things that are just emerging now. We knew that this was going to happen. We knew that these things are going to be forming. So, verse 2. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. So what do you really think about them, Paul? Uh, uh, Paul is... uh, Rather blunt. I know about blunt people. My wife is not one of them, but she comes from a country of blunt people. Oh, my goodness. Holland people are so blunt. They just come right out and tell you stuff that you would never say in California. You know, just like, that's stupid. Why are you wearing that? And these are people that, you know, it's just, wow. You know, it's, I had to get used to that in Holland. It was, and Wendy, you still don't even like it. I mean, when people are, no. (laughs) But Paul could be Dutch as far as that goes. He's just, comes right out says it. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks, for we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. Now, he would never write this to the whole church. He's writing this to Timothy. This is a personal letter. To the whole church, he'd be much more diplomatic. But he's saying, hey, uh, Timothy, you and I know that all food is fine. Now, he wouldn't necessarily say that to people for whom that's a problem. He would be much more diplomatic. And he is more diplomatic in his other letters. He's very direct here with Timothy because they're compadres. You know, he's talking to them like this. For we know it's made acceptable, the word of God and prayer. Explain these things to the brothers and sisters. And by the way, 
The New Testament Greek almost never says brothers. It says adelphoi. Adelphoi. What's a dolphin? It's a fish with a womb. Delph is Greek for the way humans give birth. Adelphoi means those who shared a womb. And so that means brothers and sisters. The only legit translation of adelphoi is brothers and sisters or siblings. That's much. Churches are brothers and sisters. That's what we are. Should never just say brothers. Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. So, he's telling Timothy, go in there, and there's people stirring up the pot saying, if you're eating pork, you're not a real Christian, because I found this in the Old Testament, or, or you've got to do this, or you've got to do that, or you shouldn't ever get married if you're a Christian, because you're waiting for the last day, and you're just going to go off to be with Jesus anyway, so why start a family? Okay. This is still going on. Who's ever heard of the Shakers? The people that make really nice furniture and stuff, you know? There's almost none left. I don't know if there are any. You know why? They insist on celibacy. That kind of kills the movement pretty fast. You know, it just, it, it, <laughs> just not a lot of Shakers left. And they make really nice stuff, but uh, they, they died out because they preached total sexual abstinence. That's how you get holy. Uh, Misty Edwards, there's a picture of her right here, writes beautiful, beautiful Christian music. Some of the most otherworldly stirring of the heart, stirring of the soul stuff you'll ever listen to, but she continues to preach that kind of thing to people. She keeps saying, you know, if you want to be a real Christian like me, you should just be this garden enclosed by a wall. And, and she encourages young women not to get married. And I think that's unfortunate because some people have a calling to be single, and that's great. Most of us, if we were single, would be so strange. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine. that. Uh, psychologists tell us that most people, some people are great at being single, and you know who you are. Other people just drift off in the direction of their own dysfunction if they don't have someone around to catch that. And so it's really important to have somebody around to catch those things. It's important to have somebody to, uh, you know, keep you from going off the edge. So he's telling Timothy, don't. Straighten those people out. If they want to be single, great, he's probably saying, because in 1 Corinthians 7, he says being single is pretty cool. But don't let them teach in the church in Ephesus that being celibate forever is, how's that working for the Roman Catholic Church? Not very good. Tell a 20-year-old man he can't have sex for 50 years and, you know, what could go wrong? You know, it, we, we've, we've seen these incredible problems in the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not bashing Catholics. I'm just saying that that's untenable. Most people can't do that. It doesn't work real well, and it creates all kinds of problems. And the, the seeds of a lot of the stuff that ended up in Roman Catholic stuff started in Ephesus. Real interesting. Oh, I could go on and on about that, but I bore you. So you've got all of these. You ever look on your food boxes, and there's all these little funny symbols? You see the U circled by an O? That's Orthodox Union. That's an O, not a circle. O-U. Orthodox Union, that's, the, that's one of the group of rabbis who check to th see things if they are actually um, kosher. And if you see that on your Kellogg's cornflakes, that means it's kosher. Uh, parava means neutral in Yiddish, which means you can have it with milk or with meat, because Jewish people can't mix milk and meat or dairy stuff and meat. 
you go to McDonald's, it's really interesting in Europe, in the, Israel, there's two menus. There's a, there's a dairy menu and a meat menu because you can't have a cheeseburger in Israel. They won't make you one. It's just how that works. And so you don't mix those things. So par, parava means it's neutral, like eggs. You can have eggs with dairy or you can have eggs with meat. And so if you see something that says parava, that means you can have it either way. Uh, the circle with the K in it doesn't mean circle K food stop with gas station and big soda pop. It, it means kosher. And D means kosher dairy. And you'll see kosher M for kosher meat and other things like that. You'll see that on your little box. You always wonder what those little boxes and little, little symbols are. CRC is Chicago Rabbinic Council, which is sort of the grand boobas of the rabbis. And they, they overlook all of this stuff. And they let you know what you can eat and what you can't eat. And then if you're Muslim, if you're a practicing Muslim, you'll have something on the food called halal, which means it's okay for Muslims to eat. Now, Muslims and Orthodox Jews have almost all the same rules. Those rules come out of Middle Eastern stuff. And a lot of it, this is just my opinion, just totally my opinion, but I really believe that these things were instituted by Moses during the Exodus. Why? You've got 600,000 men and their families in one camp. Social distancing, masking, all that. There's a whole bunch of rules for making sure that you don't have a plague coming through the place. And there's all kinds of rules. If you get sick, you have to sit outside because it's, it's, it's like Burning Man times 10. There's a lot of people there, like Woodstock. And it's just this huge group of people. And you've got to keep a lot of purity laws going just to keep everybody alive as they're going 40 years. Well, that's just my opinion. But that's where that stuff came out of. Now, Paul's living in Ephesus, a very highly developed place where the food is safe, and he's thinking, uh, we're not campers anymore. We don't need to do this. Let's look at this a little bit differently. So halal is a little different than kosher. I don't want to go into too much detail here because Jewish Orthodox people can drink wine and Muslims can't. That's a, a big difference. But when it comes down to it, they don't eat pork. They don't do all those things. And Jewish people won't mix um, dairy and meat whereas Muslims have no problem with that. So that's, you'll see all those little things. But once again, there's a tendency among us to let our outward appearance, what we can wear, what we can, what we can eat, define who we are. I still remember walking across the street. I told you guys about this before, walking across the street with my son in Brooklyn. He was about 10, and we were in a Hasidic Jewish community. And this guy comes walking across the street with a, black hat and an old-fashioned suit and the beard and the curly things. And, and, uh, and my son, who is also very blunt, he's half Dutch, uh, he says, why is he dressed so stupid? And I, and I said, uh, well, he's just, he's just expressing his faith and how he dresses. I was trying to be you know, fatherly. And I says, why would God make someone dress so stupid? <laughs> and just as he's passing us. Oh, gosh. So, so, there's nothing wrong with people doing that stuff or outward stuff. But, oh, my goodness, the first time I didn't wear a robe in a Lutheran church, I thought people were going to hang me. Uh, there, there, there's certain kind of exterior things which aren't in Luther or the Bible that we think, you know, you got to do a certain thing a certain way. And please hear me. There's nothing wrong with wearing robes and having candles. Nothing wrong with having architecture a certain way. But the minute you start to say it's not church unless you do, then you have a problem. This church is extremely informal. 
Kim was leading beautiful worship music up here with her shoes off, and she had Notre Dame socks. So it, it, this isn't – we don't take ourselves real seriously here. For some people, that could be a problem. But I guess what I'm saying here is, is this. He's telling Timothy, make sure you don't let the externals take over the internals because we're looking at the heart here. We're looking at our integrity. We're looking at where the Holy Spirit lives. There's nothing wrong with externals as long as you don't tell everyone else you got to do it that way. If the Lord leads you to live a certain way, the Lord leads you to be single. Praise God for that. But don't tell everybody else they got to be single too because they got to be just like you. Anytime we have a big renewal movement in the church, at this church, the well is very renewal friendly. We take part in a lot of Holy Spirit stuff. We take part in the Alpha Course, we take part in Curcio, we take part in all these different things that are pretty high-charged spiritually. One thing I love about this church is the people who have gone through that stuff never come back and say, you're not a real Christian unless you've done this, unless you've done Alpha, unless you've done Curcio. I don't think I've ever heard that. Have you ever heard that here? But it happens in churches, and it splits churches. And people are like, well, you haven't done this? Well, you're not, you're not really one of the cool kids. And we all have to kind of work these things out together in relationship with each other, and we have to kind of figure out what it is we're going to do. That's just how that works out. Now, I have to admit, I do, I do think the, Southern, the, the Seventh-day Adventists are onto something. I'm not encouraging us all to be Seventh-day Adventists. But up in Loma Linda, average people live 10 years longer than most Americans. It's one of the blue zones of the world. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Why? Because they have a very healthy diet. They exercise a lot. They gather together and socialize a lot, and they always strictly take a day off. I think that's good for anyone's health as far as that goes. But if you turn it into a negative thing, like if you, unless you do this, you got a problem. My dad lost his mom, my grandma, when I was about 11, and we went to visit our aunt in Marin County, his aunt. And we were staying there. They're Seventh-day Adventists, wonderful people. And by the way, Seventh-day Adventists aren't like a cult like some denominations. They really are Christians. And we're staying with wonderful people. But they had a very strict diet, and they had a certain way of doing things. And then my, his aunt, my dad's aunt, says to my dad over dinner, you know, if your mother had followed our diet, she wouldn't be dead. We left. And I just thought, I still remember dad's, but we're leaving now. I thought, whoa. Uh, do you see where she crossed the line? There's nothing wrong with keeping those rules. There's nothing wrong with doing life that way. There's nothing wrong with encouraging a healthy lifestyle. For goodness sake, they live to be... There's a church in Loma Linda, I looked this up, with 250 people over 90. Their youth group must be the 70s. I, I don't know. But... <laughs> 250 people over 90. That's, and they're active. And I just think, okay, there's something to this. But the minute you start saying to my dad that your grandma wouldn't have died if she'd been like us, that's implying we're better than you, and this is the way to do it, and the only way to do it. So, move on from that. 1 Timothy 4, 8 through 11. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Once again, this is translated as if it's afterlife. It doesn't have to be translated that way. It can mean the rest of your life that's coming. But very often, we tend to have this apocalyptic way of seeing everything. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. 
This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Get them focusing on the main thing. Get them focusing on spiritual training. Physical training is fine. Going to the gym is fine. I've been a gym rat since I was in eighth grade. My Pilates studio closed during the, the pandemic, and now I'm going to LA Fitness. I feel just like a lost puppy walking around in there. This huge place with all these lights. Anyways, and physical training is great, but spiritual building yourself up and being intentional about it is what Paul wants Timothy to focus on. Focus on growing them spiritually. Focus on growing their souls. Focus on growing their their integrity. Focus on growing the things that are really important. Don't let them focus on what they're eating, what they're wearing, and what conspiracy theory they believe in. Get them focusing on the main stuff. Keep the main thing the main thing. I never do this, but I'm putting the Greek up here because of Phil UCB. Phil's sitting back there. Phil's our bass player. And by the way, Phil, there's never too much bass or drums. So just, you know, we got attraction in the music. That's good. This is the word Eusebia, right here. Eusebia. And uh, Phil's Phil uh, has his first name in the Bible and his last name in the Bible, which is pretty cool. But Eusebia means revering well. Sebia means to revere something. Scouts were told, we are, scouts are reverent. I have a picture, Norman Rockwell picture up here of scouts being reverent. To be reverent, uh, and eusebia means good reverence as opposed to fakey reverence or showy reverence or false reverence or hypocrisy. Kind of like the church lady on Saturday Night Live type of thing. It's talking about good reverence, a healthy reverence. Build up have healthy reverence. Reverence. So if I look at this in the original Greek, it says that uh, somatike, which is soma, is the Greek good word for the body. Sarx is the flesh. It's the negative way of looking at the body. The Greeks didn't see the body as all negative. It is positive and it's negative. And you've all experienced both. The negative side of your flesh, when you're driving along and you see the in and out sign on the freeway, it says, stop here, stop here now, go through the drive-thru. Go, 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 go. You know, that, that's the flesh. But soma is the same physical body, but it's the, the beautiful created body. So somatike, I love this next word, gymnasia, gymnasia, which means naked workouts. Uh, gymnos means naked. Uh, Greeks worked out naked. They just did. You went to the Olympics, you saw a lot of naked people running around, naked people wrestling. You know, that's just the way it was. So it, uh, they didn't have any taboos about that. So uh, naked running around with your good body, that's a good thing, he says. But so, Timothy, you go running around naked at the gym, that's fine, but it's not as helpful as Eusebia, that training of your good reverence. How do we train our good reverence? Who thinks people in Southern California put more time in at the gym than they put into training good reverence? Uh, we need to work on shifting the priority. Who thinks Timothy has quite a job ahead of him? Yeah, a big job ahead of them, because they had the gym back then. They had the gymnasium. That was the naked place where men went around and did their thing. And, yeah, it says focus on that, because that's profitable. Eusebia is profitable 
in the long run in a much bigger way. And it's a promise for your life and everything that's coming in your life. Would we ever tell a young person, you're training your soul too, in, in, in too much integrity. Go work out at the gym more. We wouldn't say that, would we? We'd be thrilled if young people are working on that. We all need to be working on that. And you guys need to know, we are very blessed to have you, Tamara, doing this because you're, you're, the, you're the Eusebia pastor. You're the person in charge of prayer and Bible reading, getting people into the Word on a daily basis. You've been doing it for 11 months. And you've got this whole prayer ministry thing going, and we've got some really good stuff happening with that. We're building up the prayer muscles and the reading muscles. That's the blocking and tackling of Christianity. We have to get in the Word, and we have to grow our prayer lives. So wherever your prayer life is at, it's time to grow it. Spiritual training in good reverence, Eusebia. Discipline in the word. Being a student, mathetes is the Greek word for disciple, which just means student. We get the word mathematics from that, somebody who learns things. Be a lifelong learner. Dang, I love, I love hobbies. Wendy knows that I really get into things. And my favorite hobby of all time, though, is the Bible because there's no end to it. There is no, it's, it's an endless adventure. You, everything you look at, there's something underneath it leads to something else, leads to something else. Folks, in the Bible, which you've got with you right now, this is the distillation of the spiritual wisdom of the coming of age of the human race over a period of centuries. You can't beat that. There's no way you will ever beat that. And the Bible is always a fantastic place to grow in our faith. It gives us borrowed wisdom that we could never attain, no matter how much education we had. Psalm 119 says, I'm more wise than all my teachers because of your word. Your word guides me in ways that my teachers don't know. And it's a beautiful thing. Discipline in prayer. Developing your spiritual gifts and vocation. I'm going to make a taboo phrase here at the well. Oh, I'm open to that gift. I, I suppose I would accept it. The Bible says earnestly desire the greater gifts. Go after those spiritual abilities to prophesy, to heal, to teach, to share the word, all the different things that are spiritual gifts. Go after those things. Folks, when Michael Jordan was on the floor, some of you have no idea who he was. You're too young. But he was really good at basketball. Just ask an older person. But uh, Michael Jordan, when they're down two points and he, they're come, the Bulls are coming down, that's the name of the team, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Um, coming down the court, Michael Jordan, I'm open, guys. I'm open. No, he demanded the ball. Absolutely demanded the ball because the game's at stake. And we ought to be demanding those spirits. God is generous with the gifts. Oh, he just hasn't given me that one yet. Well, you haven't even pushed for it. I mean, it, if I tell Wendy, you know, for her birthday, you want to do this? Well, I guess. It, you know what I'm saying? There's a sense of going after these things. Actually applying your faith. We have a PhD in this in this church, and his name is John Ellis. I won't tell you his full name, but those are his initials, John Ellis. Are you sitting back there? John is somewhat obsessed with putting his faith into action. I heard him talking over here to Deanna, over there. And he just started running a few months ago. He says, I'm going to run a marathon. That's how John is. And 
Every time he does that, I think, okay, John, I don't know. I hope you can do that. Um, but he's done this several times, and each time he does. He's come back from a stroke, for goodness sake, because he's put his faith in action. Putting your, oh, I believe it. I'm just not, I'm just people. I believe the whole Bible's true, but I'm not going to tithe because I don't know if it'll work. Um, okay, well, then you don't really, you know what I'm saying? I mean, put your faith in action. Learning to, if God's going to provide for you, guide you, heal your relationships, lead you in a vocation, those promises are all over the Bible. Well, he might, he might not. People, step out. Step out in faith and put your faith into action. Discipling others. That's what Paul's doing here in Timothy. He's discipling Timothy. I was so blessed with great mentors. Uh, do you guys remember Richard Dunn? He gave me so much wisdom on so many things. He just he had a little office above his garage. He'd sit there and talk to me about stuff. Hope and Dave remember him. And I had so many people like that in my life. Just people that kept showing up, knowing a lot more than me. And I complained to God 10, 15 years ago, you know, God, all those people are dead. Uh, could you find me some more? And he pretty much says, get out there and be that person. Get out there and start sharing with people what, you're, what you've learned along the way. And that's, those of you who crossed the 40-year line, it's time to start doing that. It's time to start looking for people who are under the 40-year line and discipling those people. Volunteering, doing works of benevolence. This really does help mental health probably more than any medication. I'm not anti-medication per se. I'm just saying that volunteering and giving back is extremely beneficial for your well-being. And just taking part in making your community a better place, taking part in making sure your church is a better place, all kinds of things. I hope a lot of you will apply for these new positions and we'll go from there. Regular gathering. Regular gathering is so important. I, I think those Seventh-day Adventist things are as much about taking a full day off and resting your body and your soul and gathering socially a lot, and they do. I think it's probably more about that than the food. There's something about being together with people. And those of you who are watching, and a lot of you are watching during the week online, what I'd like to challenge you to do is to start gathering people in your house to watch these things, and to talk about them together, and then to have a meal before or after, depending on what your time zone you're in, but to process these things and to meet in person. If you're watching this alone on a screen, that's great, but think about and pray about bringing people together and watching it together and eating together and discussing these things. I think some of the best things that happened here at the well are since these two showed up over here, Donna and Jeff, and started setting up way better food. And people start hanging around afterwards and gathering, and some good things have been happening there. There's something about eating together, spending time together, talking to people we don't know that well, encouraging one another that makes a big, big difference. And so I don't think individual people looking at screens is the way God intended us to go through life. And I think it can lead to a lot of depression over time. Dave sitting right here, Dave Bullock, he had a great thing, and Joy will be probably frustrated about this, but. Dave worked for Microsoft, so he figured out how to make the computer screen get smaller and smaller and smaller and disappear at a certain point. And so 
the minute her his kids joy would be on there they only had a certain amount of time to be on the internet because it would get smaller and smaller and smaller and disappear <laughs> which is awesome <laughs> because i don't think we're meant to be alone in front of screens I'm not anti-internet. I'm not anti-anything like that. But there's something to getting us away from screens. And when they got Joy away from the screen, she would actually have to take part with the family, which is not such a bad thing. Not such a bad thing. Verse 12, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, your love, your faith, and your purity. Till I get there, focus on reading the scriptures. Make the main thing the main thing. Encouraging the believers and teaching them. I want to challenge all of you who are over 40 to find someone under 40 to bring to church and start discipling. It's just, it's time. It's time to start doing that. A lot of us who are older are a little bit narcissistic and we don't think about those people. Who thinks there's young people in need of some guidance out here in Southern California somewhere? Just, just bringing them to church and helping them with things and getting them involved in Eusebia, in growing their integrity and their well-being and their souls. I think it'd be a great thing to do. This is a guy that I totally admire. This is Paul Anderson. You've met Paul Anderson, Amagic, Ark things. Paul Anderson is like 6'7", no body fat. It's 70 years old. I saw him dunk a basketball and he throws a football 60 yards, and he plays piano by ear. Otherwise, he's not very talented. But uh, uh, Paul Anderson was a pastor in, um, in uh, San Pedro, and then he was a pastor in Twin Cities. And he was in charge of the renewal movement within the Lutheran Church, which led to the Ark, which we're a part of, which was involved with Curcio and Alpha and all those things that are kind of Holy Spirit things. And Paul was the head of the whole thing. I was a young pastor. I showed up in Minnesota. I was very young, very inexperienced, very immature, and he brought me on his leadership team. And I looked around, and the whole leadership team was people my age. And some of those people are out now leading really big churches, doing big things, all this stuff, because Paul just brought us on. Interesting that his name was Paul, but he, he brought on all these people. And I moved to Minnesota, and within a couple of months, I was speaking at conferences in front of 3,000 people. I'd never seen more than, in Chimica, more than a few dozen people in front of me. I just thought, there's no way. And I said, oh, you could do that. And here's how you do it. And make sure you do this, 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 and this, and, uh, and, and trust the Lord. Okay. But Paul had that sense, Paul Anderson had that sense for bringing people up in the faith and giving them responsibility. And there really is something to that. Don't let people despise you because you're young. You can, you can lead like Timothy did. And like we did on this team. So, invite the worship team back up. Practicalities. Don't fixate on externals. There's nothing wrong with externals. If you want to dress a certain way because of your faith, that's fine. If you want to eat and drink a certain way because of your faith, that's great. Don't universalize that for other people. And don't make that the main thing. And don't, for heaven's sake, don't ever let that be something to break fellowship with someone over. Because you don't dress the same, eat the same, drink the same, or whatever. That's not the important thing. People will break fellowship over what kind of communion cup to use. I mean, trust me, I've seen it. It's, it's unbelievable what people will do. Don't fixate on externals. Fixate on the Lord. Cultivate UCB stuff. Good reverence. Good reverence with intentionality. Let's... 
ask yourself, how am I going to grow in UCB, UCB? How am I to grow in that? How am I to become a more integrated person? How am I going to get closer to the Lord? How am I to grow my prayer life? How am I going to grow my, my understanding of the word? How am I going to focus on the main stuff? Be more intentional with it than your physical health. Please take care of your physical health. Tim over here has lost how many pounds? Many. <laughs> he's really watching. He's becoming a much healthier person. I bet you all of your levels and your blood work and stuff are improving along with that. It's fantastic. We all got to pay attention to stuff like that. I think it's important. But Tim doesn't make that the main thing. When he comes in, I might mention health stuff with him, but what he wants to talk about is the Lord when he comes into our prayer meeting. He's focusing on the main thing. And that's what we need to do. Focus on it more than our physical health. That doesn't mean ignore your physical health. That means don't put it in the driver's seat. And support young leaders like Paul was doing. Next week, 1 Timothy 5. How to treat older church members, because Paul was young and he had to deal with people who were older than him, and he was in charge. And when you're young and in charge, you it's challenging. You've got older people around you. I still remember when I was first a pastor, I looked like I was 12. And uh, so I wore a clerical collar just to look older. And uh, and one older pastor says, you should put some gray on the sides. That would help too. Just, uh... <laughs> but it is hard when you're a young leader to, to lead older people. And we're going to talk about that. Specific advice on widows and honoring ruling elders and church leaders is next week. So let's pray and uh, let's stand up and let's... Um, Praise the Lord, and then we're going to go outside and socialize and fellowship until all the food is gone. And then we're going to go home and all turn into UCBs. <laughs> Lord, we give you thanks for uh, Paul and Timothy, Lord, that we get to see this intimate, personal letter that is so full of wisdom, so full of good stuff, so full of timeless things to teach people and to teach ourselves. We give you thanks, Lord, for your word. We never run out of fascinating things in the word. We pray that you would bless us, Lord. I just give you thanks, Lord, for our Alpha course, which is coming to a close this Wednesday. And looking out here, I see a lot of people from the course and a lot of people watching online from all over North America and, and even the Philippines on the course, Lord. I pray that you would just bless them as they continue to move forward in faith. Pray for Zach as he's getting baptized in a couple weeks, Lord. Give you thanks for him and for Austin and their stepping up into leadership, uh, helping us with our, helping us with our uh, social media stuff. It's great stuff. And Lord, we pray for those people you're going to put in our paths, those of us who are over 40, to, unless we have someone already, but somebody under 40 to the disciple to, to bring into Christian community and to grow them in Eusebia. Good reverence. So we pray, Lord, that uh, you continue to guide us. We give you thanks for today and our chance to be together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Andrew, we're going to skip to that last song there.
Jesus tries to roll over my bones. Sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. Brokenness and pain is all I know. I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken.
if you happen to hand it to me. And I just praise and thank you for every person that has heard the words today. And I ask that the Holy Spirit would, would just rest on each one of us and speak to us and help us to know what our Lord and Savior is asking from us. And I ask that each person this week just goes out with power and with purpose and um, just is blessed. And I just praise and thank you for your faithfulness in all of our lives. In my name we pray. Amen. Who is that?